1: That's the second time it's gone on. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those those, those
3: boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that,
4: can't you?
1: Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the (laughs) team. Second captain, first captain, whatever.
5: I know, I know. It's just a one-off victory. This Irish team should be aspiring to create world records of their own rather than stopping other teams in their tracks and so on and so forth. But come on. It still feels pretty sweet to beat England in the last day of the Six Nations. Am I wrong, Murphy Ken?
4: You're not wrong, Owen. You're right to feel that way. Don't, Don't deny yourself the joy of celebrating this win by, you know, cold-hearted... Analysis of, the, <laughs> the of, where we,
5: of where we probably should be in this Six Nations. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to listen to Monday's Second Captain's podcast. I see Brian O'Driscoll, Ken, has fallen for the only trap that can actually take the joy away from an Ireland win against England.
1: He's been reading the player ratings.
5: <laughs> yes, we did not run through this in advance, but whose player ratings?
1: Johnny Sexton. Well, I saw him tweeting about it. Oh, you've seen this, yeah, but do you know who wrote Who wrote it, Ken? Who wrote it? Uh, well, which paper was it?
5: Sunday it was, Times. Ah, Stephen Jones. <laughs> Stephen Jones wrote it. Uh, Johnny Sexton. Mark 6 out of 10 according to Jones. The more he stays down, the more he will be targeted and it'll be merciless in New Zealand. Potentially a great player, often struggles. You've got to leave it. O'Driscoll, you've got to leave it. Just leave Stephen Jones to his
4: own devices. We've all fallen for it. I've gotten angry. Everyone's gotten angry. But you're even, you know, even though you're putting it on uh, O'Driscoll, you are still kind of falling for it yourself as well.
5: Me? Yeah. No, I'm just using it as a nice, light-hearted introduction to the show. Mm. And it's a point I that don't. Simon wanted to make. I did run through this with Simon in advance. You did. Because O'Driscoll says... As you do with
2: all rugby matters on.
5: Well, indeed, I don't like to go, you know, <laughs> half-ass, go rogue. Potentially a great player, says O'Driscoll. As in, he's obviously a great player, not yeah. potential. He gets hit because he has the Leroy D balls in Irish to take the ball to the line, creating space. That's O'Driscoll's point.
2: Yeah, and, um, you know, this isn't the first time that Sexton's bravery has been questioned by journalists in the UK um, I don't know if you remember last year well, but it's
5: nice because it's the one thing that we certainly don't question yeah we'd like almost him to tone it down a
2: little team. bit actually um, but yeah I remember last year in the Six Nations against Scotland Alex Dunbar flipped him over and there was a sort of a two second delay and then Sexton sort of, emotions Grabbed of his, his head his yeah. head was injured you know this is a man who's struggled with concussion who before games opposition coaches and players have said we're going to target this guy um, you know it's an open issue it's something uh, he's had to speak about he's ha- actually had to clear the air about his own concussion issues so he's a guy who gets targeted repeatedly as, as, which is so obvious because he's such a key player and then the reaction um, from English ex-players and English journalists and English fans after that game. Uh, I'm saying English, just I don't know why it was against Scotland, but there seemed to be generally the tone. There was Andy Goode, I remember saying it, and a couple others um, saying he was acting like a footballer, Kent, by feigning injury. <sighs> the worst insults yeah. from a rugby point yeah. of view. Kindest yeah. cut of all.
1: Well, it's, I mean, it's the most ridiculous, it's the most stupid criticism I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, you, you could all, I watch Sex and it's, it can be painful to watch times what happens to him you know clearly being targeted by the other team uh i mean it was more evident i thought against wales uh, i mean there was there was mo- there was mo- obviously he had to go off for a while against wales i mean he was down on, on his knees for a while before that
2: well i think he just got injured against wales whereas against england he he was actually targeted more effectively by england I think he managed to leave himself open and
5: this is what driscoll says it's deliberate as well by uh, johnny sexton's essentially deliberately taking on these hits by taking by holding the ball to the last possible second, then releasing a player outside him, leaving that player in space and leaving Mario Toje or whoever sp- trying to splatter into into Sexton, he knows this is going to happen, and it's uh, uh, unfortunate that he uh, that
1: that it is going to happen. But you know, there you go. Yeah, there
5: seems to be some. I'm, sorry, I'm, not, I'm not saying Johnny Sexton is a masochist who wants to get injured. I'm saying he knows it's about do, to happen.
1: I do think that this is kind of stubbornness to him, though, mm. that that he it, he doesn't want to. Um, like you were saying, something I you'd go, you'd like to almost see him protect himself a bit more, or play play a slightly more conservative game when it came to, you know, physical contact. Do I really need to do that? Given everything that's happened, and and it's like quite stubbornly he refuses to do that. Mm. He's like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep uh, I'm gonna keep doing that. I'm gonna keep doing what I've always done. You know, to to do otherwise would be to admit to a weakness. You know, and I think he you know, I mean, I would I would like to see, I, I hate to see him get hit like that, you know, I mean, it's...
4: But, I mean, I, I think it's odd, though, because, I mean, there are many things in rugby that uh, perhaps need to be explained to non-rugby people or people who have come from a different sporting background. This is the most obvious thing in the world, that if Sexton holds onto the ball and ensures that someone has to come and tackle him, then he's successfully med space for someone else because the person tackling him can't tackle anyone else it happens in Gaelic football all the time you wait until the defender is committed you pass the ball over his head same thing with playing a ball in behind a full back in football I mean you know it's so blatantly obvious that, that that's what he's trying to do that this idea that uh, just because he's doing it and he gets injured as a result mm. that that's the reason to question his bravery I mean it's just so wrong headed that it's and the other so element braver. to
2: this is that pointing out Uh, illegal play on the opposition behalf is soft, is being soft in some way. Um, I mean, you can it's like, it's the exact same with footballers, Ken, in that guys are getting side down the whole time And the odd time, they may have to elaborate on their dive a bit. Mm. But they need to also point... You need to show referees, especially in
5: rugby. Well, Rory Best had a long conversation with Wayne Barnes. A lot of people were talking about Not Wayne Barnes. I'm getting mixed up with my referees. Uh, So to make that precise point, well, it's my job to protect my players. That said, by the way, I don't think all of those... You you tend to get hysterical watching it. Like There was nothing wrong with the Atoja hit for a start, I didn't think. I thought the Tom Wood one was particularly blatant. And I thought, wasn't Wood who came off the bench? Yeah. 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 I just kind of... (laughs) That seemed a lot later than any of the other hits. It was and the first thing. You a lot did, less it really of a rap. It just seemed a little. Come yeah. on, you're getting away with that. But I, I am. I, I I am aware that it can look Like we've talked about the reputation that Irish people seem to have for whinging as rugby supporters. I don't think that's what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. It's just strange that uh, no. We have, I can't believe you're right, Murph. We have actually started resorting to taking on uh, Stephen Jones' point at face value. You're right. I fell for it through. It's the okay. It's okay. Oh, we all partners. we all jumped on board I as mean,
1: uh, well. You, t- you talk about football, though. I mean, the, the psychology in football, or at least, uh, I mean, if, you, if you're talking about pointing out or complaining about decisions that go against you, is absolutely to do that. You know, um,
2: that's where it started. The, it's gone too far, but that's where it started. Well, it,
1: it, the psychology is. I mean, it's a bit different Re- because of football refereeing is different. There is no video referee. Mm. Uh, not yet, anyway. So, the so the refereeing is is more subjective. It's one guy's opinion about something that he didn't really see. One guy's best guess. And so, if you can really put a lot of pressure on that guy, I mean, which which a lot of managers, you know, Ferguson, Mourinho, big big managers do this, play this kind of game. You know, everybody says, "Oh, it's awful." Um, that's not what we want to see, but they they do it, and it does work. It works on the referees um, because. They don't, you know, if they've got this like little bit of fear in their mind. Oh, what what's going to happen to me if I get a decision wrong against a Ferguson team a Mourinho team? It, maybe it do, it does mean that they they kind of tend yeah. to be it a bit biased that way. It
2: doesn't work for Johnny Sexton. I
1: think I think in rugby it's different. I, I mean, because the you know the referee is not actually the ultimate. the The field referee is not the ultimate authority. You know what I mean? It's harder, I think, to to. Intimidate them. They can always, if they're unsure, ask what just happened. What happened there? Yeah. They don't have to make the decision themselves, and that's why maybe ultimately it's harder to pressurise them. It's a, you know that the, the type of tactics that Ferguson would use wouldn't, I don't think, be a success. Successful in rugby.
5: We will see what Shane Horgan, and Jerry Thornley made of the game itself and the Six Nations season for Ireland. Shane sounded pretty anxious ahead of the match when we had him on the show in London, the live show on Thursday. What a fun night that was, folks, and what a week it was on the World Service.
2: Everyone said that you know, you'll know never play in the Premier League And Someone after the playoff final showed me a picture of, um, of me and Ian Holloway the manager at the time, we were embracing at the time and everyone said that's a real nice photo and I remember exactly what I said to, to Ollie in that photograph I grabbed him and I said in the air and I said to him I said next year give me one game so don't go and sign anyone I said I'll go and sign whoever you want I said but
1: give me the first game of the year will you promise me that and he said I'll give it to you
5: Throw the baby out with the bat You think
1: we've moved oh, too I much away?
5: I, I do. Well, what's happened? Where's the results? When are we winning? When's the last time we won a medal at a, at a European tournament? What, what happened there? Well, now it's. We're, we're, there, there seems to be a celebration going on. We have qualified for the elite stage. What have you got to do? I mean, my rule in my head was come home with the medals. And I was in my head going, come home with medals. How do we do it? There's been a hell of a lot of love for that episode of The Player's Chair with Brian Kerr. Not only because Brian adorably called Richie Richard right through the interview. (laughs) It was also... Mostly that, but... Yeah, (laughs) that was. It was a source of a lot of the love, but it was also a really great chat. You got a hint of it there with one of the most engaging people in Irish football. We got a tweet from Neil Sinnott saying, I thought the idea of Richie Sadler's player's chair is to make sportsmen cry, not make Richie cry regarding his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> You'll have to listen to Richie's links for the particular uh, episode to find out what, what's going on there. And a big shout out to all our London World Service members. Hi, London World Service members. Hello and thank you and we love you. They came to the show in Camden on Thursday night. You guys were and are amazing.
4: Many of them ended up in the Dublin Castle as well own, a place where, let's say let's face it, we didn't expect to end up, but it uh, turns out it was, well, we were walking past on our way to the venue, we saw an Irish bar, well, it was called the Dublin Castle, presumed it was an Irish bar, I said, well, let's try and ensure we don't end up there at the end of the night, and it uh, turns out all of our listeners said you should go to the Dublin Castle. We went and found out Amy Winehouse, the Pogues, oh, loads of other bands whose names I now can't remember yeah, have played venue there.
5: venue over the years, Brittany.
4: Yeah, well... They showed us on, they? they showed us. We're not actually getting sponsored
5: by the Dublin Castle here,
4: by the way. No, I'm just, it's I'm just saying it
5: a really good It sounds like not. one of Murph's uh, plugs, for, gotcha. plugs for a sponsor or something. Damien Murph's Delaney. plugs. Damien Delaney was also... Uh, <laughs> Murph's plugs
4: doesn't sound great, does
5: it? <laughs> no. I'm trying to tell people how amazing Damien Delaney was. Yes. Yeah, more than one person remarked that there was a bit of the Roy Keane about him and his no bullshit outlook on his profession. So we got stuck into a lot of great stuff with, uh, with Damien Delaney. Well worth listening. listen. Two pods from London and the Brian Kerr interview all on the World Service waiting to go. We've a load of great stuff planned for this week as well around Ireland versus Wales for our members. So if you'd like to join up to hear all that you can do it on secondcaptains.com. Michael Conlon put on a hell of a spectacle at Madison Square Garden on St. Patrick's Night. He went full Irish Apollo Creed top hat and all. Had the celeb supporters Conor McGregor Niall Horan a few others with 5,000 boozed up Irish fans In the theatre section of the Madison Square Garden And uh, just had the look Of a big world championship fight Rather than a professional debut Which is what it actually was We'll check in With Michael today Right now For the final time In 2017 Let's talk Six Nations Now
1: Benwick can he get to, pass
4: to JJ Williams Surely a try for JJ
0: a through on Duggan, back to Campbell, back to Duggan. McLaughlin going for that line. an Islander in and over.
5: All right, let's get stuck into this now in a good bit more detail with Shane Horgan and Jerry Thornley, who's with us in the studio for the final time in Six Nations this year. Jerry, how are you?
6: Um, that's a relief when you put it like
5: that. <laughs> cool. You don't enjoy this. Is, this is the highlight of your Monday, surely, coming in here. Oh, it is, yeah. Rugby. Partic- and
6: particularly when the Six Nations is over. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Tell us the. Um, okay, how are you viewing this? A creditable Six Nations campaign in which Ireland finished second and once again beat the world's informed team, or a wasted competition that was there for the taking if we had any sort
6: of consistency? A bit of both, but more of the former. Um, every team was inconsistent to a degree. Um, I did think, coming into this tournament, that it would be the most competitive six nations we'd ever known. All the form lines from November suggest as much. Even Italy beat South Africa. France won an upward curve, could have beaten Australia, and New Zealand both won score games. Ireland beat the All Blacks, beat Australia, pushed the All Blacks again a second time. England maintained their winning sequence, Wales at three wins out of four, and I think Scotland at three out of three, didn't they, beat Argentina and South Africa. So all the form guide was there to suggest that France and Italy won an upward curve, Wales, Ireland and England very much so were still where they were at, or if not better. So it was going to be ferociously competitive, and it's, it's proven thus, um, like I was saying to you just before we went on air. But for Elliot Daly's 78th minute try in Cardiff the five contenders for the title would each have beaten each other at home. Mm. And under the old points system, there would have been um, a five-way tie and six points. The first time that's happened since 1973 when there were 10 home wins out of 10. So basically, in the last two years, the, apart from Rome, it's very hard to get away wins. I remember Shane and Ronan talking about this on television after the Welsh game, I think it was. They're just hard to come by. And ultimately, Ireland did unto England what um, Wales did unto Ireland and what Wales very nearly did unto England. The home, uh, you get a home, you get a try at home, and more previous form goes out the window as was happened when George North scored. as what happened when Ian Henderson scored, and it's just there were various moments in the game where the crowd definitely helped Ireland over the line. Most notably, when the English got their mall going in the second half and trimmed the lead down to ten six, and uh, the, the English crowd started saying "Swing Low, Sweet Chariot," and it was booed down. And then the Irish crowd responded with a really raucous rendition of "The Fields of Athenry," and at that juncture, it needed something to happen on the pitch. And Johnny Sexton, who I thought was absolutely outstanding on the day, uh, gave the nod to um, Robbie Henshaw and they held up, was it, James Haskell in the tackle for the turnover scrum with help from Sean O'Brien as the same trio had done in the first half and Owen Farrell. And there were little seismic shifts like that, that often go with the home team. And then you get an away team that just spills the ball, all the precision they had against Scotland. they were You know you think of Mike Brown beginning and ending the game with not drop balls, Courtney Laws dropping the ball, Anthony Watson dropping the ball. England weren't quite right. So I think, in the end, Ireland deserved to finish second in a very competitive table by dint of beating England, being the only team to do so. But of course, regrets, they'll have a few. Wales, the, Robbie Henshaw joined them all, which is a bit unfair in Robbie Henshaw, given it was his kick that put Ireland there in the first place, and he played so well that day. And obviously the one that's been cited by Joe Schmidt and the management is that sluggish first half hour when there were too narrow in tipped events, too narrow in attack, and conceded the gain line to a more fired up Scotland side. For me, it's actually, they did so well then, as they did away to Wales, to get back in front. Uh, 22-10 and there was three moments there turned over Maul a loose pass from Rob Kearn to Simon Zebo, concession of a penalty by Jamie Heaslip I remember looking at that game the next day and thinking how in hell did Arne <laughs> not go on and win from that position having mm-hmm. taken the lead and you know Scotland were no threat really in the second half but they lo- let that one get slip if they go on and score a fourth try there and win with a bonus point this morning they'd be sitting at the top of the table as champions for the third time in four years so it's an element of both
5: Where are you on this Shane? It feels good to finish with that sort of a result against England but when you look at it as a whole was there, was there an opportunity you need to win a six nations here thrown away a little bit
0: yeah there was and I think um, the players will be bitterly disappointed any although the last game against England and success in that tends to then cloud our judgment a little bit um on what the what the competition was like for us I think any competition any six nations where Ireland lose to uh, Wales and Scotland even though as a way is going to be disappointing for them um, they do sit second to the table but i don't think uh, being second to the table will really mean anything to any of those players there's um, there's a lot of success in that changing room um, there's high expectations um, a lot of medals grand slam winners uh, second to the table won't mean anything to them and they'll be really disappointed when they reflect on their season um, although they have the you know they have certainly the pride that came with the english performance but kind of ha- as it was work, as, it, as the, the tournament worked out, that was kind of the minimum that you know we could have got away with was beating the English at home after what had gone on before. And um, I don't think it's a vintage uh, year for for um, teams in the Six Nations. I think they were, uh, there was a lot of dogged um, performances and displays by almost every team at one point or the other. But um, even if we, if we deconstruct, you know, each game as we go through it, and, and those two losses in particular. Um, you know they would be very, very disappointed with that opening you know twenty minutes um, or a half against Scotland because oh, Scotland did some nice things, but uh, there were errors that, uh, on our part uh, defensively that really allowed them to get uh, the tries. and we didn't play enough um of the type of rugby that uh, we we should if we wanted to win the Six Nations, we did it um, too um, sparingly. And uh, at times we were, you know, too one-dimensional, and I think we missed the trick. I think we we had good enough players um, to win it this year, and we showed in the last game uh, what we can do uh, when we when we're totally focused on the game. And uh, like, you know, this that win on Saturday was much more about um, you know application. What they you know they just weren't going to to lose against the English team because. Um, of the record so far in the Six Nations because of what it would have meant um, you know, for the English team to win. Uh, and I think considerations, personal considerations about um, their own selection going forward and the Lions. So, uh, but I also don't think it was a vintage quality display from Ireland, uh, but it was from a, a passion in, uh, for, front and front and an emotional performance, certainly.
2: So you would say, Shane, it isn't necessarily a repeatable performance then?
0: Um, no, I think it. I think it is repeatable. repeatable. I just don't think uh, you can rely on that right the way through the Six Nations. I think um, you don't always hit your absolute finest pitch, and you can't rely on hitting your finest pitch every time to win a Grand Slam. Um, I think you need to be able to get over the line when you're not, you know, when maybe the, you know you're not relying entirely on emotion. And if you th- if you look back at the time, the only time when we have done. At a Grand Slam, in the last you know, goodness knows how many years, um, it wasn't just about you know this incredible emotional year. Yes, that played part in it, but um, you know our accuracy and um, you know I sort of our technical ability got us over the line in a couple of those games as well.
2: You know what I don't understand, Jerry, is that when we are more keyed in as we were at home to England, the handling gets better. Why? Why is it that when you're more passionate, your skills go up?
6: Probably concentration is a factor. You're just a bit mentally sharper because you're so much more up for it. Um, And that perhaps explains the handling errors in Wales with what was a greasy ball. And also what explains the handling errors by England with what was a greasy ball last Saturday. I thought conditions were quite poor last Saturday. And you've got to make allowances for the fact that it's tournament rugby and conditions are poor. Um, And I think... For some reason yes when your team is more fired up more mentally focused they're less inclined to make handling errors and I think England were just a little bit off as Ireland had been a little bit off in Murrayfield and a little bit off in uh, Cardiff it's maybe more indicative when you're away from home than you are at home you just been more switched on at home as well they're only human um, players as well I do think though that You've got to give credit for what was a fairly clever performance as well. They looked at that tape of the um, England-Scotland match very closely. They saw that all England strike moves, there's of course three set-piece drives, all came from line-outs in the first half against Scotland. So they had a clear policy from the word go that despite the conditions, they would keep the ball. And this meant some fairly edge-of-the-seat stuff inside their own 22 thereabouts. And they went wide successfully, more so than England did. And their handling was, as you said, better than England. But they kept the ball and they refused to kick to touch. So England only got 2 lineouts in the first half. And Ireland at 74%, 75%, whatever it was, possession and territory. And built their lead... Um, as a result of that. So I thought it was quite a clever performance and then when it had to be brave in the second half when England emptied their bench and got their mall going and did test the Irish defence it was up to the task. So I wouldn't be um, quite as negative as Shane about it. I thought it was a fairly good performance and a well-deserving win, close enough as it was on the scoreline.
2: Shane, we can clearly beat the best now. Is that sort of the, the most positive thing you take away from this whole season that we still lack consistency that's pretty obvious but you know, if you were to go into a World Cup you'd be you'd be pretty excited about Ireland's chances because you know in a quarter or semi they'd have a real good shot no matter who they played.
0: Um, I I think there's two ways of looking at that. You would be in that I think Ireland are capable of beating the world's best teams and they have proven that beyond doubt this year. But at the same time, there would be the same um, niggle that we have going in in every World Cup to go, do we have the consistency to get through uh, even to a uh, even to a semi final, um, we will have a big day and we will perform really well. And if you look back at certainly the last world, the last two World Cups, we did have those big days and we had big performances. And and then we just couldn't stick the next performance onto it. And it's it's an it's an ongoing issue. Um, how you rectify it, I'm not quite sure. I um, I do think that the game that we play is is very attritional. It really is, and even when we have the ball, we had the ball for 75% of uh, the game, of uh, the first half, and
2: still just um, a rolling ball to to score a try. Yeah, yeah, and we
0: were talking in the studio, and I, and I were saying, oh, that'll take a that will have taken a lot out of England. They've made all these tackles, and I was, in, and and at the same time, I was saying, well, actually, it takes a lot out of Ireland as well it takes out of them for the game and for you know game uh, you know future games in a sequence and i think a lot of our scores are very very hard won there and i think we we can you know we can win them easier and i um, I, I i was positive in the uh, i was felt positive about the performance against England you know not just because of the win not just because of um you know that being able to get to the pitch on a, in in a, a really emotional you know high um, high profile important uh, mad, you know decider in, in the uh, or not quite decider but deciding our season to be able to get to the pitch of of uh, performance I think that's that was you know not it was it was really good that they did it but not surprising but I do think that we saw them you know trying to do a few things to move their game on. I just think they really need to hammer hammer that home and make that be the key focus because I thought we saw a lot more uh, plays off second receiver, which I think has been a key um you know issue for us. And I'm not saying second receiver as always a twelve. I think there was, you know, forwards were acting as that link before. So um thirteen is just escaped my um, recollection. Yeah, ring, yeah, Ringworth. sorry, ring rolls. Uh, a lot more coming off him. I thought he looked very exciting. Um and I think um you know the fact that we had moved our game on a little bit like that, you know, is it proves to me that we can do it. And, um, but at the same time, there's still the thing that nags away at me when we were having one out runners, not so much one out runners because we can, you know, that's a, that that, doesn't, that is a, just a fact of modern life in the rugby game in in modern rugby. But the fact that our runners, one out runners, when they were stationary and they were just, when they were standing still getting the ball, it's a really bad play, but when we actually move on to the ball, we get some forward momentum uh, from our from our one out runners. You know, they make yards, and that means our second one out runner can make some yards as well. So, I do think that remains and has to be addressed.
5: Well, one other way, I suppose, of moving things on and dealing with maybe the attrition that that's going to happen in these games is developing some of these less experienced players. Jerry, it's kind of crazy when you're looking at the team that was out there for the last ten, fifteen minutes: yes. Dan Levy, Luke <coughs> McGrath, Andrew Conway. Yeah. Kieran Marmion, was bonkers really, and none of them would have been there, but for injuries, realistically, this is something that gets thrown at Joe Schmidt. Maybe the more pertinent one this time was Peter Armani, who obviously is a Munster captain and a, mm-hmm. and a great player. Uh, the only reason he was in there was because Jamie Heaslip had uh, picked up a knock. A knock. Uh, is, is Schmidt ever going to come around to the idea? That's unbelievably patronising. Come around to the idea that, we're all, uh, that we all know and that Joe Schmidt doesn't know. But is he ever, uh, do you think, going to... Um, develop these sort of squad players and give them more time. I know Eddie O'Sullivan on TV was saying there's just no games to do that in because there's pressure to win every single game. So you you maybe get one free shot a year. Uh, Is that a possibility? Can I I come in on that as well in
2: that the perception seems because Eddie used to bleed on about this when he was coach as well and Kidney really didn't rotate too much more than Eddie did but that it's the idea that if I stick to the first 15 I'm more likely to win every game but actually if you brought in somebody like Marmion or you played Peter Armani in one of the games say against Scotland I think you're more likely to win those games, because the guys who are dying to get a chance can sometimes be more keyed in. Because against Scotland for the first half hour, we were half asleep, um, and I think we thought we were thinking ahead to the third game at the championship, which was one of the reasons we lost that game. But actually, if you give more guys chances in those games that you're expected to win anyway, they're more focused, and they're you're more likely to win the game. That's a much better question than my one, Cherry. <laughs> if you can deal with that, yeah,
6: okay. There's a lot coming at me there. I'm trying to dissect it all. Um, right. Um, I think Joe Schmidt has shown a record of developing some players. There was a huge time and investment in Tyke Furlan. And look what that's yielded now. Um, he stayed fate, true to Gary Ringrose throughout the tournament, even when Jared Payne came back fit for the last two games. He brought in Ian Henderson last week, surprised everybody inside Devon Toner. He was thoroughly vindicated in that selection. I think when it comes to the Six Nations Championship, you just try and put your best foot forward every game. Um, if he'd rotated and played, say, played Marmion in the opening game against Scotland, and Ireland had lost everybody would have wanted to lynch him because he have left Conor Murray in the bench and Ireland have just lost against Scotland uh, I think you know when it comes to Six Nations if Conor Murray is fit you play Conor Murray um, and it's great that Kieran Marmion and particularly Luke McGrath did so well when they came on I thought McGrath's kicking was outstanding three superb kicks a box kick a kick a grubber up the line and then a nice grubber into the corner were key in Ireland um, turning the screw and closing out the game it was really a mature performance from Luke McGrath and I remember the three, in the second half of Ireland had three Six Nations debutants, which is quite remarkable I think the upcoming tour to USA and Japan is 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 valuable um, to broaden the squad's depth. I think that happened in South Africa as well, um, in the investment and a few players there. And I think, you know, I think it's very much part of Joe Schmidt's remit because he remembers what happened in the last World Cup when Ireland shipped four heavy injuries to key men and a suspension to a fifth in the pool finale against France and then got beaten by Argentina in the quarterfinals. And I still think there's an awful lot of revisionism about that. You know, um, four Southern Hemisphere teams made the semi-finals. Argentina were a bloody good side in that tournament, and they were they were ready. They were primed. The fixtures fell better for them. They were able to wrestle out their front-line runners. I think it was against Georgia in their final pool game, and really target Ireland. They were fully loaded. Ireland weren't. And Ireland really played the pool stages quite well when you think what the job they did in France to get to the quarterfinals. It was one of Ireland's best ever pool campaigns in World Cup history. But I do think Joe Schmidt has learned from that because he keeps referencing it. And I do think there will be much greater squad depth by the time Ireland get to Japan. And it's already, there's been small evidence of this in the Six Nations. And I think you'll see further evidence of it in the USA and Japan, which is quite a valuable little tour to have. It's a pity there's not even a third game, actually. Yeah, just did. on that, are, yep. are we just not showing that we have our strength and depth and like, that it is working? Yeah, but, yeah, um,
5: yeah, but almost by default, that, you know, it's not... these No, players why, why, why is it by
0: default? It's Bec- not, Especially because all these that's well, what he's doing, that's what he's coaching. What, what, well, well, Peter O'Mahony P- Peter, Peter wouldn't have been... He may choose to say his selections are, he hasn't, you know, he should have brought in Peter Romani and, mm. and I agree, I, th- I think he should have brought in Peter Romani I think that was an error and he was... It's shown that um, you know Peter had had a big impact, you know, and not that Jamie's had a bad season. He's actually had a really good season, but uh, as a consequence of losing two losses and some of the you know the lineup issues that we spoke about, you know, it was a smart. It would have been a smart play to bring him in. He didn't bring in him in, but you know we have got Connor. Just say for Connor Murray situation, right? Connor mm. Murray is you know I think our best nine. I don't think too many people disagree no. with that. I mean, Marmion had an excellent game. I think Marmion has been playing consistently well for. Uh, Connacht, uh, Luke McGrath has been sort of actually a mixed bag for, for, for Leinster. He hasn't been standout. He performed brilliantly when he came on. So, what we really need is to have players who can come in and play really well when they're needed, when, either when they're selected um, or when, uh, because of somebody has gone off form um, or if they're selected because there's an injury. I think that, that's kind of what's happened. You know, the players who have come in have delivered. So we we're proving that we have some strength and depth. Like putting players in, um, you know that will, you uh, that that are that aren't. You don't think as a coach are quite as good as the ones you have, just entirely for, um, you know, um, uh, rotation during the Six Nations or to give them game time. I don't think you can do that. I think you you, you know if your if your best player is you know is fifth and you you back him and he's on form, then you play him. There are occasions where, you know, like we've seen, our changes will be forced upon you. But if you're priming your you know, your wider squad in the training you're doing and in the opportunities, when you do get opportunities to give them, not only only are a couple during the year, but they, you, they are used during those time. and you're talking to them and you're telling them through the year, you know, where they need to work to try and become number one. I think that's what then you're doing your job. Because the idea of handing someone... You know, if you told um, Connor Murray, for example, or Johnny Sexton, even during the Six Nations, said, actually, you're, we're not picking you this week because, you know, we're, we're thinking about a, a few years down the road. Like, try and address that as a coach. Those players would go bananas. And these are your biggest advocates. These are your biggest leaders. And... You know, they want you. Want, you only have a short career, and you want to play every Six Nations game. Not just for selfish reasons, but you, you know, if you think you're the best, and you go, well, I I want to, you know, leave my impact. I want to, you know, show that I'm the best, and you know, play to to my top capacity, which means that you know Ireland are more likely to succeed.
6: So I think you have to look
0: at it from that side of things as well.
6: Also, um, if you go back to 2009. Ireland were three from three, fully fit, no injuries whatsoever. And Declan Kidney, the man who didn't rotate, dropped an absolute bombshell by um, bringing in Gordon Darcy, Peter Strainer, Rory Best and Dennis Leamy and dropping Paddy Wallace, Tommaso Leary, Jerry Flannery, who was very much number one choice, and Jamie Heaslip. Mm-hmm. Now, he restored three of them for the last game when Ireland won the Grand Slam in Cardiff. But if that had gone pear-shaped in Scotland, we'd lost the penultimate match in a shot at the Grand Slam, he'd never been forgiven. I remember in the foot and mouth year in 2001, Warren Gatland wrote, Changed up the team after the foot-and-mouth rearrange games, going to Scotland in the rearrange game in September. Um, dropped Peter Stringer, brought in Guy Easterby, memory serves, and one or two others. And Ireland lost that game. It ultimately cost him his job. If the Six Nations has shown us anything again this year, remind us of anything again, is it's even bigger than beating the All Blacks. OK, All Blacks was a huge monkey off Irish rugby's back, and it, was, it made for a memorable November. But still in all, the Six Nations is the biggie. You don't rotate during the Six Nations. Then.
2: The Shane, did that game make you think differently about Eddie Jones as a coach, how good he is or how bad he is? (laughs)
0: Um, No, it made me think a little bit differently about uh, some English players. I think Eddie Jones is a quality coach. I think his game plan, I can't imagine he would have changed his game plan um, much for this Ireland game to what he's consistently been trying to do over the last year and has been doing over the last year. Um, I don't think their um, second wave, second receiver attack really worked, but it's hard to tell because we didn't see them get any ball. What it did really show to me was this, uh, a fragility uh, in the English mindset. Um, they were never at the never at the pace of that game, and from very early on, I was watching their body language quite closely, and the, there was no strut, there was no strut at all, there was no confidence in. In uh, the way they were carrying themselves, even the communication got down. They looked a bit um, like rabbits in the headlights, and I think we have to, you know, we've Jerry mentioned there about how difficult it is to win away from home, and I think we have to recognise that our um, I, any team coming to the Aviva is is intimidated pretty much. And I thought um, England looked really intimidated. Um, when things didn't go right for them, they couldn't uh, get the ball back. Um, they turned, uh, we turned them over quite a number of times. In, in fairness, we were turned over quite a number of times as well, but we t- tended to gather the ball um, much quick, more quickly than they did. Um, when we saw the a real contrast between the two, the last two weeks' play from them, that first line-out they did was a little bit scrappy off the top ball. The um, scrum half took the ball a little bit inside shoulder, passed the ball to the fly half a little bit inside shoulder. The actual ball went out to the 13 channel. It went on the deck and it all looked a bit scrappy. Whereas the week before it was prime off the the top ball, right off the back at the very height of the um, jumpers jump, ball in front to nine, ball in front to 10, ball in front to 12 and they ended up scoring a a try from it. Sorry, 13 and uh, um, scored a try from it. and when, when they were a bit shaken, when they were under pressure, um, and they really had to go to the trenches, it was, it was Ar- Ireland had the, the greater desire. Um, and they looked frustrated
6: and a little bit shell-shocked. The curious one for me, tactically, is what Eddie Jones and Steve Bortwick was clearly a fantastic coach. Look what they did with Japan and a small line-out. And look how potent they made it against South Africa, of all teams. Is that they didn't, despite having three locks in their pack, I can't remember them once competing in the air against the Irish line-out which I found extraordinary whereas Ireland
5: did compete very successfully or defending it particularly well when it came to deck it's one thing saying okay we'll just defend it on the ground but they didn't really defend it on the ground and they
6: didn't go go to the air once to compete whereas Ireland did very successfully most tellingly in the 73rd minute when Peter Manny stole that line up but on other occasions as well Ireland lo- lo- contested the ball and made it just that bit scrappier for England to work off. And the other thing as well, of course, that Ireland did was their line speed and defence was excellent as well. So it kind of cut off the, the, um, that second receiver option for England a good few times.
5: At the end of the... W- Sorry, Sam, you wanted to come in there?
2: No, just uh, I was going to make a point that with O'Mahony's performance, he was brilliant on the day, obviously. Mm. Um, but it just made a little bit of a mockery of <laughs> mental preparation and, you know, being keyed up for the week. Um, But also maybe the bigger point that uh, video analysis has such a huge influence and that was a clear illustration of it that England couldn't react. They were so prepared to not face Peter O'Malley essentially in the line out. And then when he did play, they couldn't think on their feet. They couldn't react. They were... Going with the coaches' yeah, play. It,
6: it, was that their tactic all along, or did they suddenly decide at the last minute to change the tactics and not compete just because O'Mahony was in the team? I find that hard to believe that they would have changed their tactics a few minutes before kickoff on the basis of a, a change selection in the Irish team. It looked like a preordained plan not to compete in the air. Ireland throw to the tail when O'Mahony's not there as well. Plenty of times they throw to C- Jamie Heaslip, yeah, or true. CJ Stander or Sean O'Brien. I just thought mm. when
2: he was stealing their ball in particular, though, it mm. was catching them by surprise. They couldn't react to the fact that he was at two.
6: Mm.
0: Yeah.
2: That's true, mm.
0: and uh, yeah, I do think that's an interesting point that Jerry makes there. I mean, there's a lot. Of, there's been a lot of talk about um, O'Mahony and um, you know
6: being the third out option. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: How important he is to the, mm. the the, the out. That's you know, it's that's almost like saying that you know Ireland don't have, don't use anybody else as a third jumper. They always do. Yeah. Um, I think O'Mahony has a, like an edge on 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 Jamie Heaslip and Sean O'Brien in the lineout and his defensive line out as well work is, is incredible but it doesn't mean that Ireland are down to two lineout options options when they have only they only the, the, the two second rows that's just not the case but uh, I do think Jerry that maybe England perhaps overthought the Irish lineout a little bit too much um they would have seen uh, that the um the Welsh and I know I was doing I did an event the week of the Welsh game with uh, Rob Howley and you know he really flagged out flagged up uh, how important the Ireland line out, and in particular the Ireland uh, rolling mall has been to them in the last uh, two years. You know, they've had huge success, mm-hmm. um, a lot of tries. And I was just I wondering if he thought, well, okay, if we stay on the ground, if we can stop this rolling mall, I don't know how else they're going to score against us. Mm, um, yeah. And actually, for that try, they I think they stayed on the ground, if I remember. They did, um, yeah. and, and it was appallingly defended. Mm. You know, it was a nice slip move from Ireland. They slipped it out. They sheared really well. Henderson used great strength to get over the line. But... You know, it it uh, it if you have all your players on the ground and you're deciding we're not going up against it, that has to stop. It really should have. And it, it's funny, it was actually not Wales's uh, ability on the ground that messed up the Irish lineout. It was throwing up uh, Alan wynne Jones for that lineout. You yeah. know, at two, very early on in the game, when Ireland went for the corner. Uh, he he nicked it, you know, high, high enough risk, but also it put a screw in the Irish mind as well. And both, you know, both Rory in conjunction with the jumpers were, looked, never looked happy after that. Well, Whereas, yeah, you know, the line at this time functioned very well.
5: Speaking of Rob Howley, your your new buddy, Shane, he wasn't too so happy after the game at the weekend. Would you so, him? Questioning the integrity of our game after. You, you would, uh, you, do you think he has a point? Uh, was, his, his, it was his, dark practice his problem round. was that Antonio was taken out of the front row to bring Slomani on completely on the pretext that it was a head injury assessment
6: yeah and it it was just Antonio was asked by Wayne Barnes are you okay and he says he's fine he told her he sent the doctor away and said he was okay although to play. players always say that though yeah but then it looked like he was persuaded to come off didn't it uh, it looked we we'll never know for sure. Maybe, but it looked—it looked a case of dark arts for sure. It looked suspicious. I just sort of felt watching it. Wales could have had about fourteen yellow cards <laughs>
5: in the, in yeah. the last. In, in, it injured. Barnes kept warning. It seemed like Barnes was a bit rattled, but there were a lot of weird things going on. He was a bit unlucky in certain cases. The uh, he had to investigate the potential Biden George North it took a while for the camera to show anything up and it was inconclusive so he wasn't helped by circumstances but he seemed to lose control a little bit
6: Yeah and there was a compelling case toward a penalty try but you know who wants to do that necessarily if you're a referee to go under the post so he just thought he'd give France every chance to get over the line and eventually they did. But um, after twenty minutes, after twenty minutes, it didn't reflect well in the game, the sport at all. All
5: right, Jerry, no, break, it, became, it
0: became super farcical, I think, mm. for for a number of things. And Wayne Barnes had a really poor game throughout. I think we got a number of decisions wrong, um, and yeah, I think if it had been any other time in the game, or if it had been any um, um, any other time in the match, I think uh, he would have given a penalty try. It's just ridiculous a number of penalties. <laughs> um, now whether i think it showed up another a couple of issues as well um you know uh, the decision uh with slimani um, you know there was before that they were talking about you know there was a, you know, a back injury and then it became a head injury uh, yeah. we'll never know um but i think we just have to you know sort of go on trust there's not much we can do there and you can you can investigate it but you kind of have to go on on, on trust and you know there has to be some sort of personal integrity to that um but then the other issue that came on, you, you know, forcing another player, a prop, back onto the field uh, when, there's a, when it was a replacement as opposed to an injury. I think there's a danger in doing that as well. Um, if a player's taken off, even if he, has, um, if, he just, if he's not injured, you know, you're forcing someone to come back onto the game. I just don't think you should be in a position where you're forced somebody that's not playing to come back onto the, onto the field. So I think they might have to look at that. But uh, it wasn't, you're right, it didn't reflect really well on anyone. It got a bit farcical, and, uh, you know, you throw a bite into the mix as well. And, um, you know, I'd say there's a a few pretty annoyed uh, Welsh guys.
6: Just in the final, in the heel of the hunt, we have to say that France has won three games for the first time in quite a long time. Scotland has won three games for the first time in 10 years. And as I said from the start on this show, a really good side is going to end up finishing fifth and it's Wales. But moving into that end game, Wales had a chance of winning that match and Ireland would have gone into that last game against England potentially finishing fifth that they'd lost. So they finished second. I may only be optics, but I still think it's very important that Ireland finish second rather than fifth and retain the top four ranking and that feeds into the provinces in two weeks' time. And lastly, England are not a bad side just because they lost one match you learn more from your defeats than your wins and I'd say after 18 wins Eddie Jones will learn more from that defeat than so anything else So we can extrapolate absolutely nothing from the Six Nations <laughs> Well <it's laughs> fine margins fine margins fine margins
5: Brilliant Jerry. thanks so much Shane thanks for everything during the Six Nations Cheers
6: Thanks for you, guys
0: are all a guy that lives
5: in a blue world.
0: We
1: haven't got a leaders day and
5: all night and everything he sees
1: they're all just headphones. They don't communicate. You
0: can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. Timbuktu. They're all just headphones. They don't communicate on the pitch. They don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pampered. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu.
2: How of England reacted to that equaliser? Perfectly. Um, no panic. Calm straight down. Continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's hearts. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. <laughs>
1: England after
6: four minutes! And they still are.
5: <laughs> <Don't hurt. laughs> oh.
2: Maggie Thatcher, your guys took a hell of a beating.
1: Maggie Thatcher, your boys took a hell of a beating. The only thing that they have
2: got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sig Thorson. Oh,
5: oh
1: my oh word!
2: My oh, tell us, talk us through that,
5: Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, talk just say, Sig Thorson.
1: He can, just cannot. Yeah,
5: Really good stuff from Shane and Jerry in the last couple of months on the podcast. Although I noticed one topic we never brought up with them. Not once during the tournament, if I remember correctly. The Lions team. It's almost as though we feel the Lions is an overhyped relic of a bygone <laughs> era in rugby. I don't know. Forget about the squad, Murph. Give me the test team. Give me the...
4: Oh, yeah, sorry. No, I, I don't know if you know, if you saw this this morning, no? The, uh, the Murph Lions test team? No, the Lions have named the team for the third test.
5: For
0: the third test. No, I missed yeah, that. Yes. Yeah, no, that's
4: just that we've been talking about it for four years. And now this is the team... That's going to play New Zealand for the game that decides the whole thing. I, you right, didn't no, see this. Oh, no, thing. I missed that. So, yeah. fullback is Liam Williams. So, sorry, it's one all after the first two tests. Our, so, this is the team that's going to win or lose the Lions for uh, <coughs> Britain and Ireland. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Okay, fullback is Liam Williams. The wings are uh, Kieran Marmion and uh, Christian Wade. Centres are George Ford and the 43-year-old Jamie Roberts. <laughs> Halfbacks are the indestructible Johnny Sexton and Dwayne Peel. Uh, front rows: kind Phil Vickery On holidays in Wellington at the time <laughs> Dylan Hartley Yes we're that stuck And uh, Tyg Furlong Who's played uh, all 80 minutes Of all uh, <laughs> 7 games so far And midweek Second rows are uh, Richard Osman from Pointless And Alan Wynne-Jones <laughs> And the back row is Robbie Henshaw Talupe Faletow And David O'Doherty So um, yeah No I'm really looking forward to it On It's going to be a real Festival of rugby <laughs>
5: uh, What's on the second Football podcast today can?
0: That's yeah, They have asked for that, really.
1: Yeah, you can laugh. I'm a
3: I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You well, don't know what you're talking
0: about.
2: Well, if
3: you want know like oh, oh, like to stay alive, I'd say it to you, face, I'll say it to, well, it to you now. Mean, I'm, I'm down to and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you Shawnee man.
1: <laughs> well, it's International Week, Owen, so we're going to kick that off by uh, hearing a little bit about how Ireland are shaping up Um not shaping up very well. No. I don't they're spoil. shipping out rather than shaping up, unfortunately. Unfortunately, owned, that's a good way to put it. A uh, half of our team from well, just under half of our team from the Austria game is out of the game against Wales. And um, so we're trying to pick up the pieces there as best we can. We're also going to talk a little bit about Arsene Wenger, who it seems is fancies another couple of <laughs> fancies another couple of seasons in the hot seat with um Philippe man, who's been observing him for many years sees him as one of the toughest and steeliest competitors he's ever come across in this game he'll need to be if he decides to go on for two more years he certainly will
5: top of the bill in Madison Square Garden packed out with raucous Irish fans on St Patrick's Day it's not a bad way to start your professional boxing career Michael Conlon amazing scenes there the other night Is, is that what you were expecting were you expecting the atmosphere to be like that
3: I knew it was going to be crazy I knew it would be it would be amazing but at the same time I didn't expect it to be as good as what it actually was. It's definitely the best sporting moment of my life so far, and I've won world golds and uh, and Olympic bronze medals, but that's definitely topped it. Bad man.
5: You certainly. I think it's fair to say you you played up to it, Michael. You played up to the (laughs) the St Patrick's Day angle. Who chose the sort of Irish Apollo Creed outfit you were wearing? Was that your choice?
3: Me myself, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was something that, uh, that I, I, I wanted to bring kind of an entertainment say to boxing again, you know, instead of just the basic, normal, normal kids throwing normal around walks, I wanted to, to do something to stand out, uh, could people sit up and take notice, you know. Rock, I was actually watching Rocky, and I I tell you what, the Paul Greed. kit is class. I love the community. I was actually thinking of doing it like the American one, because in American, I went, damn, boxing for Patrick's Day, wanted us to do it, the Green, the Irish version of Paul Greed, And... Uh, and then I contacted the 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 people who done the head fight label and uh, she was she was burning so to enthusiastic to about it and ordered to have him. For, she had to order it from America and everything to get it done. Uh and and then like obviously the designs on on because it was just a plain hat and she just sparled it all up. So, you know, uh, I think uh, it was it was it was a it was a good move.
5: Yeah I think it was certainly got a, n- a nice bit of attention looks great in the photos as well uh, the last time we spoke Michael was in your house a few months well so a while back now I think at the time yeah. you, had, yeah. you had picked top rank you were ready I think you were pretty much signed for top rank although you were steadfastly refusing to telling me exactly uh, exactly who you were signing for it seems to have gone yeah. very well you must be happy with what they've done for you so far
3: Yeah listen it couldn't have worked any better uh, especially with everything that's happened since the Olympic Games you know everything is has just went up and you know, and it, once the same with top I was actually at the start of it was I was I was touch and with saying because I had so much big offers here uh, in Ireland and and UK. So you know I was unsure if it was if it was going to go across the palm Kenny, because I have a young family. But you know I'm really happy that because nowhere promoter in the world could do with top ring. Done for me so far. It was and, your, you know I can't yeah. enough.
5: Yeah, it was your first fight since the Olympic Games. It's easy, easy enough to forget that. Did it, it feel like the moment you finally got Rio out of your system?
3: Yeah, if it slick out to you, I, I definitely feel it does. I feel like it's just been, it's been wiped away, and that's now starting it's, it's the new, new chapter, finally.
5: Yeah, it did. It looked that way, but it certainly looked like you were happy again. I'm sure you've been happy in training, but sparring and all that kind of stuff, the promotional thing, it's different from actually getting in there. And fighting. Although, funny enough, you gave yourself an F immediately afterwards for your performance, which seemed a little bit harsh.
3: Yeah, no. Listen, I don't think I perform even half as good as what I can perform. Uh, you know, obviously with with everything that was going on and and the excitement and everything about the whole event, there was a lot of pressure, and you know, it's hard to control it. I love I love the and It does make me perform better, but you know, I'd never experienced that. So, you know. It was just all about getting the job done, really, for me, uh, because I'd never experienced that kind of atmosphere and that kind of pressure. But now I've done that. You know, that tape is like a word-taking tape for people. People don't even get that tape of support for a board for word-taking. And I had that in my first fight, so that's going to stand me in good stead for the future.
5: So did it feel to you like you were maybe get you got a little too excited by it? You were maybe going uh, watching on. Certainly, the analysis seemed to be that you, you were maybe throwing a few knockout punches, attempted knockout punches, where normally you'd be a bit more patient.
3: Yeah, yeah. I it was, I it I was just going and, and you know trying the racial work. I, I wanted to get the 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 TKO finish or the KO finish. So. You know, well, I was just going in and trying to hurt him right away instead of just getting behind the job and, and boxing range. But, you know, what? I, I did settle down. I got behind the job then and then the third round, started to fame range and got the stoppage.
5: Have you been to Madison Square Garden before to watch a fight?
3: Yeah, I've never been there to watch a fight. I've never, <laughs> really? ever been there for any event. January, I was there in January for my press conference, kind of, but I was only walking around there a But to be actually there when there was people in the arena and an actual event, and it was my event, it was special it was probably it was the best the best have never boxed in definitely uh, and it was just the, the crowd felt like they were right on top of you and they were behind you the whole way it was it was special
5: you had Conor McGregor there as well to help put a bit of razzmatazz into it there were, yeah. th- th- does it bother you that half the headlines are about him the following day I guess you just have to take that on board when McGregor's involved in something he's going to take it over a little
3: listen look at the, the whole thing you know uh, they give me great advice throughout training camp and stuff and, and then before the fight and stuff so you know uh, I obviously have to thank him for, for coming along and, and sticking to his word. so uh, it doesn't bother me with saying other people that the headlines about him you know it's, it's kind of like I hear he's the biggest sports star in the world at the minute so you know, obviously people are going to have headlines about him but no, I'm glad it just it just added the kind of the profile of of the event and, and that's good for me in, in the long run so it doesn't bother me you no
5: know. Did you say that he was giving you advice in, in the run-up?
3: Yeah, he's giving me advice just about how to handle, like, uh, the atmosphere and uh, the situation, you know, and keep calm in the madness, keep calm with, take the energy and don't let it eat you up and stuff, and, you know, they're, they're good words of advice, like, in situations, like, I hate being in them situations where, like, there's thousands up beyond thousands of fans year and year, and, you know, you uh, know, just you just got to control yourself, and it was good to to have someone like him who's been there to just, like, just saying little words while you're warming up you know
5: it, it was good I see Top Rank say that they've booked the place out for the next five years which indicates that this yeah. could be an annual gig for you on St. Patrick's Day
3: yeah that's it you know the garden the garden themselves they were delayed with how it went Top Rank would have been how it went and, you know hopefully I, I want to make some projects day on the event. and they want to make it another event because You know the type of support we bring as as Irish people is special.
5: Absolutely, well, listen, Michael. Great to see you in the ring and well done on on the first fight. Thanks a million for chatting. Cheers, all. Thank you.
2: So, Sam Cook, as you can see, like me, he's awful pretty, (laughs) and we are here now working on a record called "The Gang's All Here," and uh, uh, Sam and I we expect to have this out in another week or so.
4: Would you
5: like to give us uh, a preview of this disc?
2: We'll do a lot better if we had the music here with us. We're gonna do do it. We'll try now. Hey, the gang's all here. Join in the fun. (laughs) Hey, hey, the gang's all here. We're gonna swing as one.
6: Is Memphis with me? Yeah! Is Louisville with me? Yeah! Is Houston with me? Yeah! Am I the greatest?
5: The headlines around Conor McGregor that I was talking about there mainly centered around his tirade aimed at the boxing journalists. So he sees I think it was Dan Raphael, ESPN, Dan Raphael. Anyway, one of the main boxing writers, and he and he suddenly starts laying into him in a, in a mock angry Conor McGregor mode, essentially maybe trying to hark back to the old Ali versus the media. Thing. Maybe I am boxing. I'm saying it like that actually. It's more I am boxing from McGregor. You know this sort of stuff, and he starts talking about. It the power he has in both hands, all, all this kind of stuff, which is fine. You know, if you invite McGregor along, you kind of have to understand that. He also got He's going to do ring. the McGregor thing at some He's point. He's going to do the McGregor thing the entire time. Immediately mm-hmm. after the fight, he jumped straight in. And, but he led, he led Conlon to the ring, stayed in the ring during the preliminaries, as in during the announcements of names and all that kind of stuff. Eventually got out of there Tried to pretty much stay as close to the corner as he could, barked instructions incessantly as to what Colin (laughs) should do, and then afterwards jumped up on the top rope with him, celebrating, basking in the glory. The only slight issue I would have there is if this is going to become a regular feature, which I presume it isn't. I don't know if there's any need for the tactical instructions. They've already got Manny Robles, the trainer, and Matthew Macklin, which I would argue is plenty that's plenty of big personalities in that corner. You don't really need tactical instructions from McGregor.
1: Yeah, but you know, he he reminds me a little bit when he's watching the fight of Tony Pulis. Uh, did you see Tony Pulis heading the ball in against Arsenal <laughs> when the ball the ball came across and Tony Pulis headed it? Uh as as in fact it was Dawson, wasn't it, uh heading the ball. And um he, he I, and that's what McGregor reminds me of. It's like he I've seen him. The, the, obviously, there's cameras trained on him at all times, and when he's uh, watching fights, he's constantly like. I mean, he's, he 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 can't sit down when he's watching one. He's constantly he seems to be uh, dodging and uh, ducking and throwing punches himself. Yeah, you know, I, I honestly don't think he can really help himself. I mean, clearly he 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 also. He's, he, he's been seeking attention for so long that he knows no other amount of existence. Well, he
5: also got into an altercation with uh, a light heavyweight whose name escapes me now. Apparently, the boxer tried to tap McGregor on the shoulder and say, hi, please to meet you, Conor. I'm such and such light heavyweight world champion. <laughs> and McGregor's like, piss off there, mate. Uh, he didn't actually say that. He just wasn't, exa- wasn't turning around to engage in conversation. And that became a bit of a standoff as well. <laughs> well no
1: one uh, knows,
4: knows who you are. Yeah, he, That's basically I don't care what you're won. No he, uh, one knows
1: your name. He's sovereign over his own personal space. You know, I mean, he's. You, if you try and come in there without a permit, you, know, <laughs> um, you might. Uh... Extreme betting
4: will occur. <laughs> Andy Lee
5: was back in action over the weekend as well after 15 months out, and he had a unanimous points win. So looking forward to chatting to Andy on the show tomorrow. We'll talk to Andy, I think, as part of Tuesday's daily edition of the Second Captain's World Service podcast. Thanks very much for listening to this one. We'll also have loads of Ireland Wales build-up in the next few days. We've got a football podcast out there for everybody today. And that's gonna feature well the beginning of our build-up to Ireland Wales, amongst amongst other items. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thanks Thanks, thanks, thanks very Ken. much for listening. Hope you enjoy the show. Bye.
1: Never
4: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.